Welcome to Chapels from Rosedale Bible College. Thanks for joining our community for weekly chapels recorded on our campus in Rosedale, Ohio. We hope you are challenged and inspired by what you hear. Enjoy. I'm excited uh, to be here to introduce our Pathway speaker for today. His name is Kevin Schwarzenruber. He was born and raised in southern Indiana, youngest of three sons. Uh, and for reasons that uh, he'll explain, his presentation today is going to be themed around overcoming obstacles. And he said he's going to include in his presentation many of the details that might normally come in an introduction, but uh, there were four things I thought I would tell you before he comes. He is currently serving as pastor of the Providence Mennonite Church in Montgomery, Indiana, and he's been doing that for the last seven and a half years. Um, his favorite part of pastoring, wait for it, is one-on-one -on -one discipleship. His favorite reading genre is biographies. And among all of the students in his family who are enrolled at Rosedale this semester, his favorite is Kaya. <laughs> so would you please uh, give Kevin a warm welcome to the podium today. <laughs> It is a blessing to be with you this morning. Um, I'd like to open with a little story. Um, so there was a whole plane full of people. They were getting ready to leave the airport, and the two pilots boarded the plane. Both pilots happened to be blind, one with his guide dog, one with his cane, and they walked through the plane, and the passengers all looked at each other and were kind of questioning what was going on. The pilots went up to the front, they shut the cockpit door, they started taxiing away from the terminal, headed down the runway in this particular airport. The runway ended in a big body of water, and as they got nearer and nearer the end of the runway, the passengers got a little more anxious. And just before they hit the water, the passengers all just in panic just started screaming, and just a moment after they screamed, the plane lifted up and took up off the runway. Cut to the cockpit, and the two pilots are sitting in the cockpit. The one blind pilot looks at the other. He said, one of these times they're not going to scream and we're all going to die. <laughs> You'll find out that's part of who I am. <laughs> but who I am is not a pilot, no. No, that's something I'm not going to try, no. <laughs> I am a child of the one true God. I am the husband of Amanda. I am the father of seven beautiful children. So I may only have one student here now, but odds are good we may have a few more in the future. <laughs> And no, ladies, you cannot keep my twin sons right now. They're not quite old enough yet. <laughs> I am a pastor, and I am a second-generation business owner. That's who I am today by just defining you know, my status right now of, of what I'm functioning as, what I'm doing. <clears throat> what I want to talk to you this morning about in Pathways is how I got to here, how God got me to here. As... You may have known from the help I receive, and many of you probably already know the story and uh, alluded to in my opening joke, I am visually impaired. I have been since birth. Um, people ask me what I can see and what I can't see. I, am, I, am, I call myself visually impaired. I'm also defined as legally blind. Um, if you call me blind, I'm not offended, not at all. It's hard to explain what I can see and what I can't see. It's the more light, the better. I can see better out of my peripheral. My central vision uh, over the years has uh, degraded more and more. Um, I sometimes you hear how some husbands can be have selective hearing. 
I may or may not be accused of selective seeing sometimes. I don't <laughs> not really, but it's uh, fun to laugh about. <laughs> um, I, as Phil alluded to, I was born in southern Indiana, Davies County, Indiana. At about six weeks old, uh, they noticed that when they carried me into rooms, my eyes were drawn directly to lights, and it was kind of unusual behavior even for a six-year-old child. They took me to, a to an eye doctor, they sent me on to a specialist and discovered uh, eventually what I have is a, f is a specific form of retinitis pigmentosa, and it uh, goes by the name of uh, Leber's congenital amaurosis. And when I was a child, they believed that there were only about a dozen cases in the United States. Since uh, adulthood, I've learned that there's more like three to 4,000 cases in the United States alone. So it's not as rare, it's still rare, but it's not as rare, and it is a genetic disorder. I was able to see, at the age of 16, I took a test uh, to see if there was a possibility I'd get my driver's license. I was borderline, they decided not to, wise choice. Uh, since the age of 21, it has been slowly degrading even more. So uh, I just gradually, I, I've uh, had to adapt and, and change, and, uh, but it has been, it's been a challenge. It's brought a lot of good things, and I'll talk about that as I go through this time this morning. As a child, I was a very emotional young man, and I question often, God, why, why me? Why do I have to be different? Why do I have to struggle? Why do I have to take the abuse of other young kids who are just being kids? And it was a struggle for me, and just the simplest of things would cause me to break into tears or to be just in a very sad state. And I was raised in church. I knew all the Bible stories. Uh, but at the age of 15, I came to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, and my perspective on life completely changed. I still struggle. I still have hard times when I run into a door that I know a sighted person wouldn't have ran into. I still have those why God moments. They don't last long. And God is so faithful to carry me through those times and even bigger situations things that I'm not able to do with my kids, things that I'm not able to do with my wife, but God is faithful, and he carries me through those times. As a very young man, I had an interest in computers, and this would have been in the mid-80s, mid to late 80s, so personal computers were available. They were expensive. Toward the end of the 80s, Apple had came out with uh, what they called an Apple IIc, and I wanted one very badly. Um, my parents knew nothing about computers at that time. Dad was familiar with some a little bit at work. Mom had no idea about computers. She was, in fact, a little scared of them, I think. Um, I was determined I wanted to get this computer, so I started picking up pop cans. And pop cans weren't worth as much as they are now, and computers were a lot more expensive then than they are now. And my grandfather, I guess you would classify him as Beach, he had been my mother's dad, he faithfully walked around his country block and picked up pop cans, and often he would have a bag of pop cans for me to take in and sell and to add to my fund to buy this computer. And he knew very well that I wasn't going to save enough money to buy that computer, but Grandpa was willing to help me because he knew it was an interest of mine. And eventually, uh, with a combination of the pop cans, combination of mom and dad and a couple other things, I think I was able to buy that first computer, and I was, I was just, I, I, was, I was enjoying it so much. I was able to write programs. I was able to play with it. I, it was just, it was a joy for me. I eventually got through school. I wasn't the best of students in school. I enjoyed math. I enjoyed anything technical. We had some programming classes in school. I did well at those. Our class was a very small class, a small country school. Um, we graduated 26 students. And in order to get scholarships, you had to be in the top 50% of your class. 
I was number 13. If you want to do the math, that is the very bottom edge of the top 50% of the class. But I went on to a local two-year university, uh, just about a half hour from our home, and I majored in computer programming. And after two years, I got a degree in computer programming. Wasn't sure what I was going to do. Didn't know where I was going to use this. I, uh, summers, I had worked in our family business in the trust plant, uh, manufacturing, helping to make trusses for, for pole barns. Um, my plan at that moment was just to go back and do that and see where we went from there. But with about a week left in college, a company came from Evansville, which is about an hour away from our house, and they were looking to recruit one, one person straight out of college. They wanted a, a, a new student. Um, I was number two in the class. So I didn't think I was going to get it. I figured they would take you know, the top academic student, and that would be that. But they interviewed me anyway, and they took two of us. They took the top two in the class. So much to my mom's disappointment, me as an 18-year-old, 19-year-old, no, at that point I would have been 20 years old, that's right, blind man, I moved to Evansville by myself. She, mom faithfully cared for me. She would come get my laundry every week. She would come get me every week and bring me home so I'd be home for the weekends. And I really enjoyed that time. The first six weeks, if I could have moved home, if I'd had enough nerve, I'd have moved home. But I pushed through that, and my dad has always been one of my biggest cheerleaders. He was more than thrilled because I think he took a lot of the responsibility on his shoulders. How was, how was he going to care for me? How was he going to help me to have a purpose in life? And, and he was thrilled, I know, and he showed it, and, and, and was very supportive in, in helping me get started down there in that job. And I worked there for about three years. I lived one year by myself and uh, two years with a roommate. And at the end of that three years, Dad had an opportunity that we thought was opening up in one of his business ventures. Um, and he was asking me to come home to maybe head that up. That opportunity didn't work out, but I came, it, it kind of opened the doors to more discussion, and I came home to work for the family business construction company. This was a company that my dad and my uncle had started in 1983. And it was growing uh, quite a bit. By that point, it was a pretty good-sized business. But they were still doing things by hand, on paper. All of the tickets were written by hand, and it was going back to the accounting department, and they were entering everything in the computer from handwritten tickets. And Dad was basically like, can you help us modernize? And that was an amazing opportunity. Over the next 10 to 15 years, working full and part-time, I was able to write accounting software for them from the... I started with a estimating program that they were able to enter the parameters of the pole buildings and it would break down the building and give an instant price to their customers, gave us an advantage in the industry. Uh, we were about five years ahead of others in that opportunity to do instant quoting. It didn't take hours. It took a matter of minutes to enter the parameters and pick the doors you wanted and the metal you wanted and the dimensions you wanted and it would just print out a price. And after I got that on its way and got it started, then I started an order, an order entry system that allowed them to enter their tickets and then automatically be transmitted into the accounts receivable program. Didn't have to handwrite things anymore. It was, it was a lot of work, but it was a wonderful challenge, and it was right down my alley. And I enjoyed that a lot. Today, we're in the midst of a five-year project where we hired a firm, the firm that I worked for in Evansville, to come in and modernize all my programs, and I have the opportunity to oversee that and to modernize this once again. 
So it, it's been a beautiful opportunity for me, and, and I love challenges. I love problem solving. I think that's why I like computers so much. It's a problem-solving process of how do you get from A to B, what are the steps in between, and how do you optimize, how do you, how do you accomplish this? I, that's one of the things I enjoy just naturally in myself is problem-solving, trying to figure out how to do things. And that's what it, it afforded me the opportunity to do. Um, toward, let's see, it would have been... Yeah, around 2000, in the midst of this developing the software for the company, I, I was about 26, 27 years old. And while I'd been, by the grace of God, successful in my career, in the romance area, I wasn't so successful. I think we're in the middle of the World Series right now. To use a baseball analogy, I had uh, probably struck out a couple of times. Never really got very far. Uh, my very first official date, I'd won tickets to a concert, and I asked a young lady to go with me. And when she picked me up to go to the concert, she said, well, I didn't want to stand you up, but when my boyfriend that, we, that I broke up with, she had broke up with a year before, found out I was going to concert with you, he asked me to get back together. So that's the way that night went. <laughs> it's okay. You can laugh. I do now. Yeah. But in the midst of those couple strikeouts, God had something greater in mind. In fact, he... If you want to stick with the baseball analogy, he brought me to win the World Series in four games because I have an amazing bride. <laughs> She's nine years younger than I am, and she is beautiful inside and out, and she has been a gift. And I talk about that selective seeing as a husband. She has been a beautiful gift and challenging me to be all that I can be and to do all that I can be, even with the obstacles, the challenges that I have in front of me. I think sometimes she thinks she may have created a monster of some of the things I attempt, but she is very gracious and, and very, very much a blessing, very much a help me, to me. Soon after, uh, not soon after we were married, it was, see, that had been 07, so about seven years after we were married, I told her on our first date that I had a call to the ministry. I didn't know what that was going to look like. I had no idea what that was going to look like, and I just wanted her to know it up front, and she signed up for that. I don't know if she would have signed up for it, knowing everything. No, just kidding. But she, she embraced that. But about seven years into our marriage, uh, she was expecting our third child. And through a process of raising up through the church, um, I was installed as a co-pastor of the church that I grew up in. That was a whole new realm a whole new opportunity. I stepped into that ministry opportunity. I stepped out of more full-time uh, responsibility at the construction company. I served in the ministry there for about six and a half years. And an, after about six and a half years, a church just a half mile from where we had built the home that we moved into on our wedding night, a church called, it would be Providence Mennonite Church, and asked, their pastor was moving to Florida, and they asked if I would be interested in coming to be the senior pastor at their church, a church of about 300 people. And I sat and I thought about it then, overwhelmed by the opportunity and looking at God. And it's like, I, I never would have thought seven years before that I would be a pastor. And in, in, in that position, I was a co-pastor. But I looked at it and I, I thought, God, how can a blind man be the pastor of a 300-plus person church, a senior pastor? How does this work? And he reassured me, he said, Kevin, I, I, my grace is sufficient. I will care for you in this. And he has. Ministry has been amazing. Ministry is tough. Ministry, when you're in ministry... It's because there's needs. It's because there's hurts. It's because there's opportunities to help people. It's not just teaching. It's not, it's not just glamour. Not at all. There's a lot of hard things, but God is faithful in the midst of all of that. 
And he has been faithful in that ministry. And it's been a beautiful opportunity. And in, in the midst of that, I've still functioned in, in a role within our family business. I, I mentioned it briefly earlier. Um, I, interesting thing is I had such a passion for computer programming. I enjoyed it so much. I would say in the past five years, short of some Excel formulas, I've done basically no computer programming. There's seasons in life and the things that God calls us to and the things that God gifts us to. Just to give you some perspective, that business that my dad and my uncle started, we now have 125 employees on site. We have over 20 subcontractors who build post-frame buildings for us full time. Right now, I think we're backed up about when someone gets a quote and says, yes, they want that building, it's about a 12-week waiting period for those buildings. God has blessed us abundantly. And now I have the opportunity to just help to guide that ship and to oversee the programming to help uh, develop business strategies. Because there's something else I want you to know this morning. There was a time when I was very much set on empire building. I love business processes. I love to figure out how businesses work and how to make things more efficient and, again, problem solving. But there was a time when my wife and I had thought that the door was opening for us to go to Honduras to be the directors of an orphanage. That door never fully opened. But in the process of possibly going down that path, I mistakenly thought that in order for me to leave the country, I would have to surrender my ownership in the family business. That was a battle for me. Because it wasn't too many years before that that I had, had designs and possibly that I could be the head of that family business and, and helping to lead it. But to die to myself and to say, God, if I have to let go of that to do what you were calling me to do, then I will do that. God didn't make me do that. But he brought me to the point where I was willing to do that, not by my own strength, not by how good a person and how righteous of a person I am, but because by his grace, he sanctified me. He purged that empire-building mentality from me. And now I still, for now, get to enjoy the opportunity of leading that business, but it is no longer, by the grace of God, an idol in my heart, something that I'm holding on to. And I give him the glory for that. Over, I told you when I got into ministry, Amanda and I had three children. Um, over the next few years, we added four more to our group. The first four were girls, as you see them here this morning. Kaya is here with you guys, Ava, and Carrie, and Margaret. And then we had the three sons, Judah, who's seven, and then we have the two little twin four-year-old boys. What a blessing they have been. What a blessing it has been to parent them. And yes, there's been more obstacles being a blind parent and looking to guide them. You know, how, how was I, I going to be a dad to boys? How was I going to be able to play ball with them? How, were they going to be boys? Were they going to know how to be boys? They know how to be boys. <laughs> if you've watched him at all in the little bit you've seen him here, they know how to be boys. And God is faithful in all of that. And it has been a blessing to overcome the challenges, the challenges of being a parent, the challenges of being a husband, the challenges of being a business owner, the challenges of being a pastor. The challenges of facing all those things are hard in themselves, but to face them with a physical impairment, a visual impairment, adds a whole other dynamic to it. The reality is we all have obstacles. Everyone in this room this morning, has obstacles. 
they're not all as obvious as my visual impairment. Sometimes they're physical. Sometimes they're financial. Sometimes they're relational. But we all have obstacles, trials, tribulations that we face, things that we have to overcome in life. James tells us to count it all joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds. Count it all joy. How do, how do I count it all joy when I am facing my visual impairment? Well, it begins with the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. We see a lot, a lot of depression, anxiety, discouragement in the world today, just despair. And we see many of these people are trying to function in this life, in this fallen world, without the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ without the hope, without the expectation that God is with us, the expectation of what God has for us for eternity. So the first step in overcoming our obstacles is having a solid foundation in the one true truth, the truth of the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. I told you when I was 15 years old, when I came to that saving knowledge, my whole perspective on life changed. Yet, we have a challenges, even after that saving knowledge, on that foundation, we still have our flesh to deal with. This morning, I want to give you a few of the tools that I use to, that God has given me to help overcome. And the first one is perspective. I want to encourage each of you, whatever your obstacle is, whether it's physical, financial, relational, whatever it is, don't think too highly of yourself. With my visual impairment, I have the, I guess you could say luxury, of, I have no one to blame in this world for my visual impairment. Yes, it's genetic, but that's nothing my parents could control in any shape or form. I have two older brothers, as Phil said. They both have normal vision. It was just an anomaly. But I have no one to blame. The only person I could possibly blame is God. But I mean, he's perfect. He knows everything that yeah, we still want to sometimes. And he wants us to ask questions. I know you guys have a Psalms class. I believe Kaya's in it. And you look at the Psalms and the lamenting that's in there. It's like, God, why? God, why? He, he doesn't mind the questions. In fact, he knows when we're asking questions that we're seeking to grow, we're seeking to mature, we're seeking to understand. So questions aren't bad. And he even understands when we do launch into anger or disappointment or discouragement or dismay. But he ultimately want, knows that the only solution is for us to come back to him and say, God, you are sovereign. You are all-knowing. You are all-powerful. You are all-loving. And I know that that loving God, I, I'm not going to blame him. Praise God. I'm not going to blame him. But other challenges, other obstacles that we may have, we can blame a person for doing us wrong. We can blame a person for a, a mistake they made or a malicious act they performed that caused us hardship, that caused us struggle. Those things are real. And the Bible tells us that we should deal with those things in a process for the sake of that person and for the sake of the glory of God. But when we settle in and do the, the pity me party, that's not con conducive to us overcoming our obstacles. To overcome our obstacles, we have to take full ownership of what elements we can control, and we have to give them to God and ask Him to help us. Another tool we have in overcoming our obstacles is learning from others. Phil told you that one of my favorite genres of reading is biographies. I love to read biographies. I love to read biographies of 
people of faith. I love to be, read biographies of uh, people in business who have succeeded. My recent, and I've, it's been scattered through time, I love to read biographies of people who have overcome physical impairments, specifically visual impairments. This summer, my wife and I had the opportunity for our 20th anniversary. We took a week trip to Alaska, and we spent the week at Denali National Park. In one of our excursions, we were on a hike, and I got to talking to our guide, and I found out that he had hiked Denali, the mountain, twice to the summit. And I said, ah, oh, that's probably nothing that I'll, I'll probably try. And he said, well, if you do, you wouldn't be the first blind person to do it. And I thought, huh, okay. So I went back to the resort, and I pulled up Wikipedia, and I found out that this gentleman by the name of Eric Weinemeyer was the first person to ever climb Denali. And then he went on to climb all of the seven highest summits in the world. And he also kayaked the Grand Canyon. It's fascinating to me. No, I'm not going to try it. But in reading his biographies, he had a couple. I was led to, he was trying to be the first person to kayak the Grand Canyon. He was the second. Because in the process of his year-long training, a guy from Duggar, Indiana, 45 minutes from my house, became the first individual to kayak the 226 miles of the Colorado River that goes through the Grand Canyon. And he is, his name's Lonnie Bedwell, and he calls himself Lights Out Lonnie. He was a veteran of the Navy, I believe, and he was on a hunting trip, on a hunting expedition just about a mile from his house with a buddy. They were turkey hunting. And any hunters in here know that when you're turkey hunting, you can't wear anything orange or anything because the turkeys will see you and they'll run. His buddy mistook him for a turkey and shot him in the face with a shotgun and put out both of his eyes. That's why he calls himself Lights Out Lonnie, and he is a character. He, he is a man of faith, but he is a character. And I went to his website, and I emailed him and said, hey, we don't live very far apart, and I just read about you in this guy's book, and I'd love to get to know you. And he emailed me back in, and said, what's your phone number? And I sent it to him, and he called me, and we talked for about an hour that day. And it was interesting to talk to Lonnie because he verbalized a principle that by the grace of God, I have lived by all my life. And I said, we were just chatting and he said, Kevin, if I could get my sight back today, I would. Absolutely. If there was some medical procedure that would give me my sight back today, I would sign up for it. He said, but if I could go back 24 years and keep that accident from happening, I wouldn't. He said, because that accident has made me who I am today, and I praise God for who I am today. That man went from being able to see perfectly, what, good enough vision to be in the military, to being totally blind. 24 years later, he could make that statement. Do I, some, do, do I wish I could get my sight back today? I would love to have my sight back today. I'd love to see my wife and my kids more clearly. I'd love to see your faces here this morning. I'd love to be able to see the escape out these windows more clearly this morning. But would I want to know what my life would be without this visual impairment? You see, I know my heart. And I talked about that empire building and then God worked out in that. I could have seen myself being a very self-centered, a very driven, a very self-focused person. And I don't know who I would be today if it wasn't for my blindness. But by the grace of God, I love who he has made me today. And he has used my blindness to do that and overcoming the obstacles of that to do that. So I praise him for that. Another example, that's biographies, but another place to look for examples of how to overcome our obstacles is within Scripture. 
specifically the Apostle Paul. And there are many, but the Apostle Paul stands very clearly to me. You look at his life, you look at his second letter to the Corinthian church. In chapter 11, he lists all of the trials that he faced. Struck with a, with, he was lashed with a whip. He was stoned once. He was shipwrecked many times. He was hungry. He was cold. All of those things he lists there. And he could stand firmly and say with James, count it all joy. And then he goes on in chapter 12 of his second letter. And he lists all of the, he talks about this thorn. He said he prayed three times and asked God to remove it. And God said, my grace is sufficient for you. And Paul goes on to say in that letter, he says, he rejoices in it. He really does. It's not his words, but that's his, that's his, his reality. And he says, because when I am weak, then I am strong. When he is faced with that thorn, when he is faced with all of that persecution that he faced, he is weak in his flesh. But he is strong in his spirit because God carried him and God used his obstacles, his circumstances in a mighty, mighty way. God wants to use your obstacles and your circumstances in a mighty, mighty way. Satan wants to use your obstacles and your circumstances to crush you, to discourage you. He would tempt you to avoid your obstacles. He would, he, Satan will tempt you to not do uncomfortable things. Satan will tempt you to blame others for your situation, especially when there's legitimate reasons to blame others, when they are a direct cause of what you're facing. I want to encourage you this morning, don't avoid your obstacles. Don't run from your obstacles. Run toward your obstacles. Don't go looking for trouble. Trouble will find you. Don't go looking for obstacles. But I encourage you to stretch yourselves, to push yourselves. I know some of you are doing that in your classes. I hear you talking about your midterm exams you're working on. I know they're stretching you. Push into them. Don't be afraid of them. Don't be afraid of the result. Embrace the process of studying for them. Embrace the process of taking them. Embrace the process of receiving your grade and processing it. Don't run from your obstacles. Allow God to use your obstacles to change you, to shape you, to mature you, to sanctify you, to prepare you for the next phase in life. God is faithful to use small obstacles to prepare you for the bigger ones. In the midst of my blindness, I've told you that it is getting a little worse year by year. I am in the process now of I'm in level four of four levels of learning Braille to be more efficient, to challenge myself in, in, in being more efficient in the tasks that I have before me. I just in the last year have, I'll be honest with you, humbled myself and have started using a white cane in certain conditions. Like if I'm walking into the sun, I've, now that's given me freedom. Six o'clock in the morning, pitch black, I can walk the half mile from my house to church. All of these things by the grace of God pushing me through. He has been faithful through the years. My mom and my dad are with me here this morning or with us this morning. I've already told you how my wife has been such an encourager, such a, a, a pusher in a very, very good way. My mom, as I told you earlier, cares for me so well. My dad cares for me also, but he also is, and my wife knows I say this, he is my biggest cheerleader, always has been. And he is always there to, he'll hear some of my crazy ideas and he'll give me his thoughts. And then he'll step back and he'll let me do it. And then if it doesn't work out the way I thought it would, I don't think I've ever heard and I told you so. He'll just be there to help me pick up the pieces and adjust what needs to be adjusted. 
my latest venture. We have some farm ground, and I'm hoping to get into cattle, and we're trying to develop a hay field, and he's right there helping me with all of that. All of these things I tell you not to glorify myself, but to tell you that God is a big God. He is a providing God. He is a loving God, and he's not going to leave you wallowing in your obstacles. He's not going to leave you in despair. He wants to pick you, pick you up and bring you through your obstacles and sometimes over your obstacles. Obstacles are not the end of the road. They're just the beginning of another path. So I encourage you to face those obstacles. And as I said, grow through those obstacles. Don't close into yourself because another lie that Satan uses, the enemy uses, is that you are alone in your obstacle, in your particular obstacle. I told you with my particular variety of blindness, there's only about 3,000 of us in the U.S., but there's many more than 3,000 blind people in the U.S., but there's also many, many more physically impaired and many, many, many more who have other challenges. And God wants us to come together as a body and to help each other and to walk together and to grow together. Satan knows that if he divides us, he can conquer us because he knows that when we are together, working together as a body, being the hands and the feet to overcome our challenges, to overcome him, that we cannot be defeated as the body of Christ. We cannot be defeated. And Scripture tells us we will not be defeated. Times will be hard. Obstacles will be big. But we know from reading Scripture and studying Scripture that in the end, God wins. And we need to hold on to that promise and on to that truth and use the obstacles that we face, the challenges that we have as opportunities to glorify God and to expand His kingdom. I pray that you are walking in that freedom and that understanding and that knowledge in your lives today. I want to pray for you guys this morning. Father, we come before you this morning, Lord. We, we praise you, Lord. We praise you, Lord, for the mountains. We praise you for the valleys, the, the valleys of obstacles, Father, whether it's visual impairment, whatever the physical challenge, whatever the financial challenge, whatever, whatever the relational challenge, Lord, we praise you that you are there to carry us, not only just to get us by, but to multiply us to help us to be fruitful in the midst of whatever the circumstances we are in and not fruitful by the world's standards, not by how big our paycheck is or how big our bank account is or how many friends we have or how popular we are, but in our effectiveness in your kingdom, in our opportunity to glorify you and to expand your kingdom and to, to bring that power and the, the, the reality of that power to others and the way we live our lives and the way we overcome through you and not by our own strength. Lord, may we each walk in that freedom and in that power and that strength as we face the obstacles that are presented before us in this world today, Father God. We praise you and we thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening. If you found this episode helpful, please share so others can benefit from it as well. And be sure to check out our other podcasts at rosedale.edu slash podcasts.